listening to Free Talk with Mr. B. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, and I Stay. I'm Deidre Stevenson. I'm your hostess with the mostess. (laughs) I always wanted to say that. (laughs) And my wonderful co-host, that would be the illustrious Mr. B. And Lene Peters and the wonderful Richard D. All fantastically talented people, all writers. Lene here is a, an artist in addition to being a writer and an editor as well. And as you probably know by now, I'm a writer as well. And, you know, even though we're all writers and creative people, we all not only were children at one point, we all have children. And some of us, at least Mr. B, and are, I don't know about Richard, but maybe has grandchildren as well? You have <laughs> grandchildren? Is, he, he, oh my goodness, so five! I, I have two, you. he has four, yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing, look at you guys with your grandbabies, I love that, so <laughs> well done, you. <laughs> well then you must know all about children's books, and that's the topic for today. You know, children's books are, as I see it, a wonderful opportunity to teach children ethics, to teach them, you know, lessons, life lessons, hard learned lessons that other people have gone through quite a lot, you know, to teach them, but in a fun way, in a storytelling, you know, kind of framework so that they can, you know, they can learn it, you know, sort of innately, you know. <laughs> And Lene and I have put together a wonderful, we, we've jointly done a children's book. Oh, let me step again. My background doesn't let it show very well. There we go. Little Loud Beatrice and the Magic Painting. Um, of course, I can post some pictures. Lene, I don't know if you've got it there. You've got some dolls there to show them. Lene did the illustrations. Oh, look, there's Beatrice herself. <laughs> And there is the blue lady from the book. And my favorite one. The The jester. The jester. He can dance. dance. That's fantastic, isn't it? Now, she actually used this in a mixed media platform so that we could have these wonderfully high-quality illustrations for the book. And for those of you interested in checking that out, they're on Amazon and all your favorite, you know, online stores. Um, but, you know, that's beside the point. It's Little Loud Beatrice is an example of a book that can really get some big ideas across, even though it's a little book. I mean, Little Loud Beatrice, just to give you a quick little recap, she comes from a very noisy city. Very noisy, very, I mean, people throw parties, they do fireworks, you know, they laugh, they, they enjoy, they really absorb life. And she has to move to a village with her father that is run by a very mean duke. And the duke has a constant headache, you know, and he wants everyone to be very quiet all the time. And, you know, loud expressions of emotions are not allowed in their new village. So little loud Beatrice decides that the best way she can express herself is through a quiet Uh, means of artistic expression and that's painting hence the name little loud beatrice and the magic painting 
and I'll let you read it to see what the rest of the story is all about. <laughs> but I can I can assure you that it has an incredibly big message, you know, behind it. Um, even though it seems like a simple story. Now, what are some of you? Just curious. What are you? What are your favorite children's books when you were a little kid? What about you, Mr. B? <laughs> I was almost hoping to go last because ah. <laughs> my thought pattern on, on children's book is after raising two sons and two grandsons being around, the idea was that they learn how to read. From the, some of the most fundamental children's book had the biggest impact in their lives because it's the time to learn how to read. And as a bragger a little bit, my sons learn how to read at, at by four years old, they, they were three and four years old, they were reading reading the newspaper level. And I was very, very wow. proud of that. But how could I ever forget green eggs and ham? Uh, personal <laughs> right? favorite of mine as well. You know, so, so the Dr. Seuss collection was, was just, it became a fundamental part of our lives and our children's lives and, and what they were able to learn from those children books and examples of just the fascination of learning to read. It was was amazing for them oh lovely lovely and it's a, not only a bonding experience with children and it's like you said children who are read to learn how to read faster they they develop a larger vocabulary as well that's scientifically proven hey how about you richard what was your favorite growing up um i, I grew up reading uh, enid blyton stories mainly the adventure ones the famous five and the secret seven and that sort of thing and i suppose they gave me a taste for adventure in a way um yeah. and also they gave me some, some good ideas for, for my own sort of work <laughs> yeah um and I, I went to school when i was uh, four years and, and one month old and by the time i was five uh, i was reading certainly um and I just devoured books. I just loved reading uh, and anything of that sort of nature. And then I progressed past that into my teenage years. And but I still kept reading adventures. And then I discovered science fiction. Um, but if you if you think back at those sort of books, they all had a message, um, as as we were saying before. And they all taught you um, values, and they taught you principles, and they taught you honesty, and they taught you all sorts of things without really trying. If you know what mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was there and it was implicit, and it gave you a, a framework to to live by. Really, would you recommend those books today for parents that are just coming up? Are they still available? They 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 are still available. They they've fallen out of favour because of the times in which they were set are unrecognisable. I guess um, I was writing an article for my blog this morning about growing up in the in the nineteen sixties, and I realised it's, it's a different planet. I think the stories, even though the stories are, are universal, um, the settings and, the, and the, the way people speak would just be so unrecognizable to people today. They need a rewrite, really, to, to make them relevant, which is a shame. Yeah. In, wow, in the book, there was always a moral to the story. And then today you wonder uh, which moral are we addressing or touching or whose buttons are we pushing? <laughs> whose toes are we exactly. stepping on? <laughs> <laughs> and there's all, all it's all about selling the books you know these days i mean more than really teaching anything it seems and that is a crying shame honestly i think that children's books in particular have a sort of a social responsibility that but that's just me my opinion but you know they they are held to a higher standard i think than 
fiction novels and even science fiction that are really entertaining at the uh, the very first bit they have to be entertaining and engaging but children's books they they have to hit a mark and uh, that's my personal opinion what do you think Lene? well times certainly have changed um when i was very small my mother used to read to me from her collection of the grim brothers fairy tales that was published in the 1930s that mm -hmm. she'd received when she was small in the 1951 or 1952 mm -hmm. and reading the stories translated into afrikaans they were quite higher level of language and they were extremely brutal some of them gave me nightmares um, but she also used to make up little children's stories with little parables about the little sailing ship that ignored his mother and sailed too close to the beach and the wave knocked him onto the sand. You know, she would make up all these little stories herself. Um, as a child, for me, I loved the stories that had a bit of illustrations in them, especially one of the collected, you know, you get the big A4 hardcover book with collected fairy tales in. And I actually collect them now over the years because I love the illustrations. But the ones that caught my attention always had, apart from the main story character, a little mushroom in a corner with windows and doors and smoke coming out of a chimney. And that's just, that's been my hook. So I'm, I'm a fantasy and sci-fi reader as well. And I build dollhouses to scale so i guess that triggered my interest but they wrapped up all kinds of life lessons about choices and consequences in entertainment or sometimes the fear factor to make that more impactful on a child mm. and it, it is a crying shame now that everything's been commercialized there are certain visuals that are being pushed onto children's books what if a child doesn't like to see something in explicit color? They want to make up their own image in their mind. So by feeding them everything that's highly illustrated, you almost railroad them into a certain aesthetic instead of letting them develop their imagination, which I think is the more valuable of the skills that they take from these children's books. But my childhood favorite as well at one point was The Cat in the Hat. That, that was just, <laughs> I still have it. I still have that book. <laughs> you know, I loved, that was my favorite for sure for reading to my kids. I loved reading The Cat in the Hat and Green Eggs and Ham. I used to read to my children. And I tell you what, every last one of them learned the ABCs from Dr. Seuss's ABC. They learned their, yeah, that was how they it's all learned. Our generation. <laughs> their ABCs, yeah. They didn't learn them from school. They learned them from Dr. Seuss's ABC. <laughs> and you know, as, as I in past 60, I recently went back and, and started looking for a couple books I was interested in. And one of them was the Aesop's Fables. Oh. And, and so the, they, they validated something. I was like, when, where did I get these information from? Like the, the fox and the hound and sour grapes um, on, on different, uh, the turtle and the hare and all those type of fables that was written in there that taught so many lessons. And I couldn't recall where I got them from. So my wife helped me figure out that was the book that had all of them in it. And so there are a few versions. And so that's another nice thing to do is to go back and validate some of the thought patterns in our minds at this age. Or where did we see that? Or where did we get that? Did grandmothers tell us or did they read it to us? And so it's really, really, I mean, children's books are amazing to go back and validate so many things that in our, that are in our minds you know that's a really good point i think with all of our choices here we're all sort of validating 
our tastes as well, you know, for what sort of writers we became, what sort of creatives we became as well. My favorite children's book was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I think that really shows now, (laughs) you know, with with the kind of books that, you know, I ended up writing. I mean, the kind that take you into a fantasy world, you know, where magical things happen and, you know, um, the possibilities are endless. You know, that's what appeared, what really appealed to me about that story. And also it really appealed to me because Charlie chose his family, you know, over anything else. So it was just, I think maybe, you know, there's a lot of examples in my my real life where I've chosen my family over certain missed opportunities, you know, or things that have come up and I think you know was it reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that made me inclined to do that maybe it had a lasting impression on me who knows yeah and and that's what it's really all about yeah yeah so something I thought you were going to say something. No, it's it's it, if you can if you can if you want to get a message across, the best way to do it is by entertaining people, because then you you can get your message and they'll they'll receive it, and it doesn't feel like learning, and yet they are learning. What yeah. about your grandchildren, Richard? Do you read to them? Um, I do. Yeah, I don't see them as often as I'd like to, but I do read to them now. And in fact, they they can read themselves mostly now. The youngest uh, is five. Um, apart from the baby, of course. Um, and she reads very well for her age, and she actually wants to read me a story now when we go and see it. Which is nice, and it's great. It's, and, and you can join in, you can make it a real interactive experience, which is lovely, you know? That's lovely. And that goes back to what Linnea was saying about how, you know, making up stories of, on your own, you know, with the children, you know, and having their imagination just sort of take it to a different level, right? Yeah, I, I, I never missed not having illustrations in, in the books I read at school because I could form a picture of what was going on in my head. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, as, as you said earlier, without being led to someone else's interpretation, you have the uh, ability to make your own. Right. For sure, for sure. You know, like my grandsons are 11 and 15, and so definitely wouldn't be doing any reading to them because they're probably busy playing a video game. <laughs> you know, that was going to be what I was going to bring up next, honestly, is now, all right, what do we think about the video games? I mean, has that had the negative impact that we all suspect? Um, again, it would just, oh, Lene, go ahead, you were going to say. <laughs> well, I have two teenage daughters now, and because I'm a gamer, I get the um, adrenaline junkie rush of working against a timer or playing with a team against another team, or even just the scrolling visuals. If a game hooks you and you love the storyline and the game mechanics, great. Um, What I've been seeing is, however, some games that actually involve a little bit of reading in-game, as in character letters or clues, things like that, is a very underdeveloped genre that can bridge the gap for parents. And I'd like like to see more developers working on that kind of context. Um, We used to have a a game called Myst back in the 1990s, which you had to read the letters. You were alone on this planet and you had to read stuff and solve the clues. Um, (coughs) And I don't know of many games like that now, because uh, as I said, there's now so many games and I, I don't play many myself. 
but in that way, um, I would like to see more of the Web3 development as well with apps and reading apps, adding rewards for children or parents can use it as a reward chart. If the child has read a few books, uh, it's much easier with an ebook though to monitor that they can tie that in with an app, get rewards, and then have a bit of free time or the joy of going to buy another book in the bookstore. Because face it, they are expensive. They do take up space. Um, I have my mother's collection of original books with me since she passed. Um, they're mine now. And I feel obliged to keep them for my grandchildren one day because they are truly going to be antiques. <coughs> I think in 10 years time, they qualify as antiques now. <laughs> and I also have my own childhood books with me. And they, they not, about, not only do they have sentimental value, but they also become a time capsule of the time in which they were written and the social norms of the period. And we shouldn't just rush into the digital age and get rid of everything physical, uh, which is why I also use discarded library books and school library books in my art, because that that paper had a meaning. It went through dozens of little hands who had hours of joy reading them, and therefore it now has a value. But it's it's definitely something we need to bridge with a technology shift for sure. Yeah. It's a shame that Rodney wasn't able to join us today. And, and that was in my mind. I wanted you to give him, if you talk to him one-on-one, um, -on -one, to give him our greetings and the season's greetings. And, you know, because we just went over um, here in the United States, Thanksgiving Day, eating turkey and so on. So he would be the, the perfect one to help express these video games and, and, and how the children really, relate to um, them. But in today's educational, there's a lot of video games with education and like um, block differentiation, color differentiation, and other um, coloring book type things, algorithms for kids to use electronics to learn and maybe be a, like, a, like a book. Um, Mary Had a Little Lamb is probably in digital somewhere <laughs> or a video game somewhere. So someone could start learning how to count and could count each little lamb. But we grew up on the book. We grew up on the conversation. We grew up on learning from that child's book, how to read, how to count, how to do basic math and so on and so on. So it's, it's like you say, Lene, it's, it's something we should never discard, never. Yeah, well, I totally agree with that. You know, these are things that are treasured, uh, treasured experiences and they mean a lot, you know, when you're, you know, you're, you're helping to shape who that person is going to end up being, you know, as an adult, you never know what sort of impact that's going to be. Also, you know, you have to consider that there's an awful lot more children diagnosed with learning disabilities now. So they're, they're also quite helpful in regards to that. You know, I have an autistic son and I can tell you, you know, using electronic, you know, reading, sort of apps and 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 uh, videos you know have been incredibly helpful teaching him words and you know more more language you know um and he's very proud of himself you know when he learns a new word and autistic people in particular are incredibly visual this is how they learn they learn in pictures you know and that's a lot of people don't realize that you know when you say for example shoes to somebody who's autistic they might remember every single pair of shoes they've ever seen you know because <laughs> it's very visual they don't see the word shoes you know in their mind they see pictures of shoes from the time they were little until the time they're they're they have them now 
<laughs> that's what it means to them. Very interesting and wonderful way their mind works. It's it never ceases to amaze me, actually. Sure. Um, anybody else have an experience with that? Well, I, when you said that, I started thinking right away about the large apple and the two size letter A's in the books we grew up with too. So they'll put a large capital A, a little you know common A, and a big apple in the middle of the book. So we we did picture association very very early too. And so when you learning the ABCs and you have these large pictures, I don't care whether you're autistic or just as autistic as all of us are. <laughs> <laughs> we were learning with those pictures, and I'm really glad you said that because those are not discounted children's books. Those are children's books that was used right away to help us learn. And if we have ideas about a children's book that brings up things that are allowed in each of our communities, um, sometimes here in the United States, some things are not being allowed anymore, and it's kind of scary. But it's, the idea is if it's allowed, we should still creatively bring them out because there's nothing wrong with bringing or helping children get through new thoughts new ideas or experiencing uh, a, a of a trauma they've been through because a lot of kids have experiences and so sometimes mm -hmm. children books get to these points where we can talk about something that even in a normal day we can't clearly express that it may right. be, it may be worth bringing out the points out of that little book and bringing them back into a sense of calmness right and on raising an autistic child, when you said that, it rem it reminded me that we call them social stories, you know, in that regard, that um, whenever there's, for example, an unwanted behavior happening, you know, we've done this with Ibrahim a thousand times, you know, and we find a social story on an app. For example, when you get angry, hitting is not acceptable. You know, and it's all about a little boy who's feeling the, the the feeling angry, and he's got the look on his face. I'm sorry for the dune buggy sounds, by the way. <laughs> Evidently, my neighbor decides that now is the best time to go dune buggy riding. <laughs> We're not hearing but, it over here. Oh, good. Okay, terrific. <laughs> but yeah, no, he. It's all about teaching, you know, him that uh, getting angry when you get angry. You say out loud, I am angry. And now he actually does that. He literally will say the three words, I am angry. You know, rather than trying to hit somebody or break something, you know, so it's really, this is just the most wonderful resource, you know, social stories. So never underestimate the power of storytelling and visuals, you know, to affect behavior. And you know what? I think that we should probably talk about the, you know, the last few minutes here. If people have ideas for children's stories, do you think they should probably go ahead and pursue getting that out as an ebook at least? I would agree because I don't, I don't think people should hold back because I, we look for that one, just like these podcasts. If you get one beneficial listener, someone who really benefits from the information, then mission accomplished. So if someone was to publish their book, I bet there is one person who can really benefit from it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Any thoughts on on that, Richard, on how they would go about doing that? Yeah, the, the easiest way is, is the same way, that, you know, just publish it. Just, just write it and publish it. Um, because as, as Mr. B says, there's always someone, you'll always find someone to read it and you'll always find someone who'll benefit from it. And the great thing about 
the electronic book is that it has um, given a lot more people the chance to read a lot more things. Um, mm -hmm. Because you know there are, there are people for whatever reason can't get to a bookstore or can't afford a book or can't physically get the time to to actually read it. But with a few clicks, they can they can read as much as anyone else. So there's always room for another way of getting the information across. And ebooks are so environmentally friendly, aren't yeah, that's, they? That's I mean, that's so well, many, yeah. <laughs> so many trees don't die. What yeah. about you, Lene? Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I have two parts to this answer. Um, I would like to see more, and I want to say uh, culturally indigenous books for children by people from different cultures in different countries. I have seen parents here in Dubai walk past entire shelves because the books were written for other religions, kids in other countries or children who have zero things in common with the children here. And it becomes a case of us versus the big corporates who are trying to push these products and negating every child's experience in a particular other country. Uh, people are constantly complaining about whitewashing of stories and political issues. But the people in the different communities need to step up and write down their stories, create that oral tradition, capture it in written form. And if you have no drawing skills whatsoever, Ask the children to illustrate it, involve a community yeah, and put point. each child's picture in the little book. There is no limit to what you can publish as long as it just uh, you know, complies with all the normal social norms and standards. Um, go for it. Uh, empower a local artist. Use kids with disabilities. How would they draw this character on this page? Make it a community effort to create a treasure because we are the guardians of the stories for the next generation. And if they haven't written it down, they stand to lose quite a lot of their own cultural values, I feel. So in that sense, an ebook is great, but if you even just get some kids with paper plate masks for the characters to do a green screen photo shoot in front of a living room wall and act out the scene and you can take a picture, you have an illustration for your story. <laughs> and there will be a child somewhere who loves reading and watching those pictures. So yes, definitely go for it. And I think Pleasure. all of you, all of you would, before we close, all of you would agree with me that Lene's voice would be a perfect book. What do you call the ebook that reads to you? Oh, the other than audio, audio, uh, audio, audio, audio book. If you haven't thought about that before, please do some of that <laughs> in your lifetime. Well, actually, years ago, I volunteered at the Society for the Blind in South Africa to read audiobooks for blind because my grandparents were blind. They tested my voice and said my voice was too high. So maybe it's time to try again. I don't know. Well, that's ridiculous <laughs> because we have too many things we can control all of that. But your voice True. articulates speech very well, and it would serve as a wonderful voice for anything, I think. It's such a pleasure to be with you guys all on today. Thank you. Thank you Thank so, you much, so much, much for being Mr. here. B. And I'll see everybody next week then. Take all care. Right. For sure. For Thanks. Sure. Have a good one. Have a good one. We want to thank everyone for listening. This is Mr. B on Free Talk with Mr. B. For your comments, see us on Facebook. Follow us. Also, on Instagram. Follow us. Please send any inquiry to email mrb at freetalkwithmrb.com 
or go online www.freetalkwithmrb.com. We thank you and look forward to you again when we come on this week, next week, and every Sunday on Free Talk with Mr. B.